This is Jasmine. She works in Uttar Pradesh as a nurse mentor and teaches staff best practices for a safe labor and delivery. Her work is supported by the Institute for Global Public Health and is part of efforts that have improved infant and maternal survival rates in the area. To save someone's life, she says, is a very big deal. To send them smiling back home is our biggest reward and achievement. How do we develop better healthcare systems that are particularly better at providing services to the, the people who are usually left behind, the, the people who are poor and uh, living in unstable circumstances? Welcome to another episode of What's the Big Idea with University of Manitoba President Michael Benarosh in conversation with some of today's big thinkers. Together, they'll unpack the big idea their work explores. With topics ranging from astrophysics to social justice, these diverse voices tell us how the UM community is contributing to the cultural, social, and economic well-being of the people of Manitoba, Canada, and the world. In today's episode, Michael sits down with Executive Director of the University of Manitoba's Institute for Global Public Health, Dr. James Blanchard. They discuss how Canada can become a world leader in public health and how the University of Manitoba can help lead that effort. Dr. Blanchard, Jamie, thanks for sitting down with me. It really is a treat to discuss issues of global public health with you. Not only is it a strategic priority of the University of Manitoba, but over the past 20 years, you've provided leadership for the design and implementation of astonishingly impactful public health programs throughout the world. And I had the opportunity to see some of those when I came to India. You really are a true leader in the field. And it's not just us at U of M who think this way. Since 2003, you've received more than 386 million in funding from the Gates Foundation alone. So you have the attention of a lot of people who are really passionate about this field. And so I wanted to begin the conversation by asking you a question I've been asking others. What's your big idea? My big idea has three parts. The first part is that I think that Canada can and should play a much bigger role in global public health, really amplifying Canada's perspectives on global health, Canada's values and Canada's commitments in, in global health. The second part of my big idea is that academia can support Canada's efforts. The academic sector can really support Canada's efforts in global health better. And the third part relates to the University of Manitoba. I think the University of Manitoba can really be at the forefront of providing this leadership for the academic sector in supporting Canada's role in global public health. So let's start with the last of those three. So in 2008, you have found the Center for Global Public Health at the University of Manitoba, which did incredible work in HIV, AIDS research and outreach and continues to do that. And then in 2020, the center was transformed into an institute for global public health, an institute being kind of university-wide beyond just the borders of your field. And in the process, there also seemed to be a paradigm shift in the work that was being done in global public health in your institute called Program Science. Can you tell us a little bit about what Program Science is and why this change was so fundamental? You know, if I think back to how the history of our work in global public health evolved, I think initially we were very much project focused. I started my work in India, you know, back in the late 90s 
uh, with a specific HIV project in India that progressed to another project and additional projects. But over time, what we found is that these projects turned into partnerships with local communities, local NGOs, local governments. And through that work, we established a different way of functioning. We became less and less focused on a specific project and more and more focused on the bigger challenges that our partners were facing. And we realized that as an academic institution, we could deploy a lot of resources in those partnerships, expertise, commitment, opportunities for training. And in those partnerships, we started to elaborate this idea of embedding science into programs. How do we look at a program that's trying to accomplish uh, big things, often in very complex situations? How can we as scientists embed ourselves in that process to try to understand how we can add value to that, how we can, using our, our knowledge, our, our understanding, our methodologies, try to become a, a supportive partner. So program science really grew out of these partnerships that were sort of patched together over various projects. And I think over time, when we saw that this was a modus operandi that we could use in global public health, we saw this as something we wanted to institutionalize better. Instead of thinking about global health as an activity that a number of interested faculty members and students would do, we would organize it under an institutional framework, that, you know, the institute, which would allow us to align ourselves, be much more strategic and intentional in our partnership and use this program science approach. I saw firsthand the success of it in India. I know you've done this with HIV, but the work in India was around maternal and early childhood care. Can you talk to us a little bit about how that model of program science allowed the work in India to proceed so quickly and to be so successful? Yeah, it was interesting. When we had been working in India, and we were well known, at least in parts of India and with various global institutions, around our work for, for HIV. But when the government in Karnataka, one of the states of India, recognized that this kind of a partnership model where we were supporting the state HIV program could be applied in other areas of public health. And so they approached us and they also approached the Gates Foundation and said, why couldn't we use this kind of a partnership where we have a strong technical partnership with the university? Why couldn't we use that in other health areas? And they particularly wanted to have support, technical support in how to accelerate their progress in maternal and and child health. So we initiated first a project in Karnataka on that, but then it became obvious that that model was transferable to other health areas. And then that relationship grew. The success that we had in Karnataka with our partnerships there was expanded so that when the, the Gates Foundation made a commitment to the government of Uttar Pradesh to provide technical support for their state program, they asked us to apply to be the main anchor partner for that initiative. It was a competitive process, but we had a lot of experience. And I think it was a bit of a surprise to a lot of people within that environment that a small, relatively small prairie academic institution was given the responsibility to provide this major role in technical support to the largest single public health program in the world. Uh, in Uttar Pradesh. So what you saw when you were there in May was the progress that had been made in that partnership, which had started with an idea and a partnership in South India, but has expanded now to other parts of India and also other uh, partnerships in other countries as well. 
and as an academic institution, it would often be a program or a project. So you would go in, you do the project, you come back, you write your academic papers, and you'd move on to the next project. But all the lines are blurred here. It's about providing services. It's about using science and data to find where the services are weak, where medical services aren't being provided, and to fill gaps. But it's a continual process. So this moved beyond just what a normal university department would do, right? Yeah, I think there's some interesting dynamics of this. I grew up through the academic tradition. I was trained through a very traditional academic training process. And you're taught throughout all of your training and early career to show your individual capabilities as a so-called independent researcher. So this idea of demonstrating your independence as an intellectual, as a researcher, is really deeply ingrained in academia. And what we were finding here was that there was a lot of interdependence, different disciplines coming together, people with different ways of understanding things were coming together. But as you said, the objective was always, how are we going to now improve the public's health? How are we going to improve outcomes? And so every question we were asking, either as individuals, but more importantly, as a group, Every question was directed towards what do we understand about the current situation and what are some of the ways in which we can improve that? And that our value, we saw our value for communities and for government programs and others was really around being able to do that assessment, but then also think through the solutions, the potential solutions, and then testing those solutions to see what might work and what might not work. And so taking the very best of what academia can bring, which is measuring and understanding what's happening, but then bringing innovation to try to understand different ways of solving problems is is really something that really fit. So it's an area that I think our academic institution, the University of Manitoba, has a very strong tradition of, though it hasn't been so codified in that way, but there's a lot of tradition in the university for that kind of a service orientation. But what we were doing now is we were taking that service orientation and we were articulating in ways and bringing together researchers in ways that they could really deploy themselves individually, but also as groups. You said earlier that it was a competitive process. U of M bid on it. It was awarded to University of Manitoba and that others were surprised, some of the probably bigger institutions, but the work is continuing. It's continuing to be successful. So your big idea is that the expertise has now been built at the U of M I think you've been recognized globally for the work you're doing. And then the next idea is really to make Canada the center and the hub for this. And and what are your ideas around there and how could that happen? So one of the things we've realized is as we've had increasingly large project roles, working with some of the biggest and most complex health issues in some of the biggest countries, what we've realized is that though we have a lot of expertise within our institution, usually you need expertise from multiple institutions to support the work. So there may be areas where we have expertise, but there may be other areas where the best expertise is at other institutions. And so we do bring in experts from a variety of different institutions to support our work with partners. We want to make sure that when we're working with a community organization or a government, that they have access to the best expertise in the world. And so we've done that on an ad hoc way. Who do we know that knows something about this? So tied into our big idea is that why couldn't this be something that Canada does? Bringing together different academic institutions in Canada 
working on these platforms or these partnerships that we already have to really bring a constellation of Canadian expertise to help in partnership with these countries and these government programs and these community-led initiatives. Why couldn't we get together a consortium or a group or an enterprise of Canadian institutions to do this? And it would be such a great way for Canada to contribute and for Canada's academic sector to contribute using the unique characteristics of Canada's academic environment to become really that trusted partner for solving some of the big public health challenges that we face. Along those lines then, you've done work now in HIV, you've done now work in maternal early childhood care. And though I know that that work is continuing to expand into other countries and other regions of India, does the approach that the Institute of Global Public Health taken, could that be scaled up in a way or could that be applied to different public health issues and and how would that happen? Yeah, I think uh, what we've realized is that in some ways, It has a potential to work across a whole range of issues in health and also outside of health. So one of my recent conversations in India was with somebody who's trying to build a knowledge environment with the government of India. And what he suggested was, why couldn't this also look at education and early child development and nutrition and sanitation? This model of bringing in the kind of expertise and the kind of ability to do inquiry and discovery and innovation that academia brings, why couldn't this be applied across other domains of health and development? And I think we're quite confident that it could. It just is a matter of organizing and having these partnerships and then being able to draw on the expertise that an academic institution or academic institutions have to plug into that and embed themselves in solving those issues. And I think it really does start to amplify the mission of academia in global health and development, which is really to sort of generate and mobilize knowledge to improve you know, the, the health and well-being of people, not just in Manitoba and Canada, but also globally. So that technique of identifying the problem, what's the goal, how do you want to improve, and then doing the research. But one of the fascinating things in India was that there's real-time data being collected. I mean, it may have been in a little written book that somebody in a village was taking, but the organization in India was collecting all that data and analyzing it almost in real time. I mean, and then how quickly you're able to respond and the range of responses was one of the things that amazed me, that it wasn't just, you know, it it could have been supply chains and you found a solution. Can you tell us a little bit about how that process worked? I think, I mean, everything that we do now kind of starts with the public health challenge. So we don't start with a research idea or hypothesis. We start with the public health challenge. But as you do that, you understand, well, what data do I need to collect? And what data needs to be collected from frontline workers, both for them to do their jobs efficiently and effectively, but then how does that information help us look at higher order problems? And so what we've done is we've tried to help design ways of collecting data, ways of analyzing data, and then identifying where are the gaps. The gap might be an issue of capabilities or support that a frontline worker needs, but it also might be the lack of supplies. So what we ended up finding out was that there were certain problems or certain issues that could be solved through just empowering and providing resources and tools for frontline workers. But there's a lot of 
layers to that. So there's a lot of things that they can't solve at that level. So understanding, you know, this is really a supply chain issue. And so we got pulled into more and more structural issues over time. And so, as you said, when we saw that the issue wasn't really at the front lines, it was the lack of a consistent supply chain, which undermined confidence in the frontline workers and healthcare providers. So we brought in experts in supply chain and supply chains to help the government think through how could we develop a supply chain model and test it out and look for models around India and elsewhere to say, okay, here are some ways in which you could help deal with the supply chain. So if you're looking at a complex problem, you need to have a pretty big canvas in terms of what the potential solutions are and the expertise that you need to solve them. And I think what we had was the opportunity of looking at and trying to make those diagnoses about where the challenges were, where the gaps were in coverage, but then also thinking through what expertise do we need to bring in to help solve that, those issues. And I saw some data then of the positive impacts you've had. If you've got those numbers, I'd be interested in hearing about yeah, that. Yeah, so what, I think one of the things that we've been tracking, and I think this is really critical, is that when we sign on to do a project like this, the evaluation of our progress is not measured by the number of people we've trained or the number of publications we have. They're measured by things like the maternal mortality ratio or the neonatal mortality rate. And so what we found early on, and this wasn't us, this was external evaluators, what they found was they found that the kind of technical support that we were providing was resulting in two really important things. One was more women using services, antenatal services, delivery care, skilled birth attendant at delivery care. So there was a huge initial increase in the accessibility and utilization of services. So for example, when we first started our work, only 45% of women in Uttar Pradesh, where there's 6 million pregnancies a year, only 45% of those women who were pregnant had any antenatal care. And working with the government, we came up with a new system so that now it's almost universal. Almost all women in Uttar Pradesh, within five years, are now receiving any antenatal care. Now we're looking at improving the content and quality of antenatal care. Similarly, delivery care, the proportion of women who are delivering in a facility has increased by about 40% just within five years. And that was not just through sort of mobilizing and supporting women to access delivery care, but also working with the government to make sure that they were activating more delivery points where they were lacking. And ultimately, we were also measuring mortality. So the maternal mortality ratio in Uttar Pradesh over the last six or seven years has been declining at about 12% per year, which is a very high rate of decline. And Uttar Pradesh is now on track to meet its sustainable development goals by 2030 for maternal mortality. Neonatal mortality, the government's most recent survey showed that in Uttar Pradesh, after almost 10 years of fairly stagnant decline, it declined from 47 to 37 neonatal mortality. So a really dramatic decline in neonatal mortality in the state. And these are in line with what we had seen in terms of better accessibility to services, better quality of services. There's a lot of really complex challenges ahead. And we're sort of going from some of the more basic challenges to some of the really more complicated challenges. And I think that that's the challenges we're seeing going ahead. And it's really remarkable. And, and anybody who works in the field of development knows that so much has been tried with aid over time. And these kinds of results have not generally been seen. And I think it's both a credit to the work 
the Institute's doing, but also the work, the, the partnership with the Gates Foundation and the government of India and the government of the state that has really come forward and provided the resources also to be able to expand and improve the health. So with such success, and in our backyard now here in Manitoba, we're seeing syphilis rates rise. I, I think we have the second highest rate of HIV infection. Can we look inward? Can we use this model to help focus on our own province and the needs? What would be necessary? What are all the parties that have to come to the table have to do to, in order to bring about some of those results also for Manitoba? I do think that the university can play a really substantial role in the public health landscape within Manitoba as well. And I think that the university in some ways has an obligation to do so. Now, many of the people who are faculty members with the university are already in really critical roles in public health, and they're really at the front line of this work. But I think that what we've observed from our work globally is you really need a concerted effort. You can't do these things in isolation or in, in pockets. You need a sort of a, an initiative that really brings the combined skills and talents from across different disciplines to work on this with a very clear understanding of what is it that we're trying to achieve. I think the other dimension of it is really this idea of accountability. So until academics and academic institutions take accountability for the results, it's very difficult to even think about how you're going to measure progress. So I think for the university to take a really major role in Manitoba, it takes leadership. It takes leadership from the very top of the university to do that. It takes partnership, partnership with our public health authorities and, and governments and our communities. And then I think it really takes a coordinated kind of an effort, sort of bringing in the best ideas, the best commitments, and really measuring progress. We were constantly measuring our progress in global health. Where are we with the coverage of this? Where are we with the gaps there? What's happening with equity in the coverage of these things? And are we seeing any signal of declining rates? I think unless you take that approach to things, it's very difficult. It's easy to get scattered. So I think that concerted effort with a sense of accountability for results, it's possible. And I think the University of Manitoba is the right university to do that. We have such an important role in our province. One final question. What do you see as the future threats or challenges concerning global public health? I think it's pretty obvious that there's always the looming threat of a new pandemic. So I think it's very difficult to avoid the fact that a pandemic can really completely disrupt not just our healthcare systems and our health and well-being, but also the whole social and economic fabric of society. So I think that continues to be a threat. And I think we have to think through how we prepare going forward. I think the preparation for going forward has a lot to do with developing more resilient health systems and public health systems, and also having partnerships between countries, particularly to make sure that the people who were most affected by the pandemic, which are those who are almost always left behind by our public health systems, that we have systems that will be better responsive to those things. So I think pandemic preparedness is really important. We have increasingly complex social environments, urban environments are becoming really important. And the healthcare systems are really not well organized in many countries to respond to the needs of people who are being left behind in urban environments, where it's not as easy to figure out where people are living and, and what services they have access to. So I think urban health is a really important challenge 
going forward. There's a lot of neglected areas. Mental health is one that I would mention. I think globally mental health is a challenge that hasn't really been addressed adequately. All of them, though, I think tie back to the issue of how do we develop better healthcare systems that are particularly better at providing services to the, the people who are usually left behind, the, the people who are poor and uh, living in unstable circumstances. Thank you for that. And and I, I'm sure in your mind, you think that program science would be a very good way to tackle all of these issues. Well, I think academia has a role here. There's a phrase that one, one writer brought it, we need to get out of the ivory tower and into the agora. I, I really feel that increasingly that's, it's not only something that we have an obligation to do, but I also think that it will really animate the role of a university, that once you start trying to solve really complex problems, I think it really, it brings alive the different disciplines we have working across disciplines and our student populations, I think, would really, really get a lot out of it if they're able to contribute in those ways. Dr. Blanchard, Jamie, thank you so much for this conversation. Every time you and I speak, I learn more and more of the incredible work you're doing and, and how detailed and complex it is, but how it really presents a framework for us to solve some of the biggest problems in the world. And it, it's an honor to have you as a member of our university community. And, and I look to the Institute to continue to challenge universities to do work in different ways. Thank you very much. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of What's the Big Idea with University of Manitoba President and Vice Chancellor Michael Benarosh. Be sure to join us next month for more captivating conversations with today's big thinkers. If you enjoyed this episode, share it with a friend and make sure to subscribe, rate, and review the series. Thanks again for listening and be sure to visit umanitoba.ca to learn more about this leading research facility and its global impact.